Welcome to the West North London, where one nil to the Arsenal is back. <laughs> it is a great scoreline. It sure is. Um, I, I love, I love this. Oh, I forgot to say, I'm Caleb. There we go. No, oh, and I'm Tim. <laughs> Sorry, we just were so excited to talk about the I know, game. That we just, just skipping, skipping through time here. Uh, yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, there's, there's some days where it's kind of, uh, uh, difficult to, to rally myself to go to do the podcast. Cause I know I'm just going to be talking about something that makes me sad, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's games like this where I actually get excited. I'm thinking throughout the rest of the week, what am I going to talk about? I've had conversations with about four or five people about the game. So I've, got a, a good good idea I've, I've read all the articles listened to the other podcasts so i'm <laughs> i'm i'm stoked and ready to go you're all in on this one i like it yeah um yeah i'm i'm pumped to talk about it i think there's a, a sad alternate timeline caleb out there who's having to talk about this loss and man i'm glad i'm not that guy because it is um it's sad to think what would have happened if we would have hit hit the wall for what was it? Twelve? Uh, was it twelve losses? Oh, in a row, something like that. It was. It was an absurd. Yeah, I know. It was, was two thousand eighteen. Was the last time we beat them in the league? Yeah, and I think it was thirteen. Is the number that's sticking in my head? Okay, so it's but, up there. There's a. There's a. a yeah. Maybe a baker's dozen, and yeah. that to to add to that tally would have been really tough on our our hopes for this season especially mm-hmm. as we've kind of floundered in at moments you know kind of when yeah. we've had a unconvincing north london derby not too far in our mem- uh not too distant memories that would have been a difficult pill to swallow to hit the wall again at yeah. man city so i we, we we made a a right turn and and ended up on the correct timeline, on the good timeline. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 enjoying this timeline so far. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the proper one. Well, I think uh, we should we should get to it. I I'm I'm copping out on beer of the week because I oh. drank a beer and ate a ton of pizza at dinner, and I don't think I can fit anything else inside of me that is carbonated. <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that feeling well. I will say I had a. Uh, Seattle, I think, oh, Space Needle IPA from Pike Brewing with dinner. Oh. So that was my... I do like some of the some of the stuff that Pike does. I like. I used to like their uh, their brewery quite a bit in the, down in the market. Yeah. It's kind of kind of seen better days nowadays, but uh, it's still a nice place to grab a beer. Yeah, if you happen to be down there, there's worse places you could go. Um, it's... They, they, I, half their beers don't do it for me, and then once in a while they have a good one. So... Yeah. I would say they're they're right down the middle, and maybe you could find better breweries in town if you're if you happen to be in the, the touristy Man, market. Cl- Cloudburst is just a few blocks away, and uh, is that still open though? Actually, now that uh, I say that, that, all my Seattle knowledge is pre-pandemic. I so. feel like that one's still there. I think it's optimism that just went away. Nope. That one's up on Capitol Hill, though. I get those two flipped around for some reason. Cloudburst yeah. and optimism are. Like in the same thought, yeah, part of my brain. <laughs> but if it's still there, it's a, that Cloudburst is a great little place that's right by the market. So, mm-hmm. um, 
So that that was my beer of the week. I just drank it a few hours earlier, or just an hour yeah. earlier, really. You know, it's like I was just yeah. getting getting into yeah. things a little early. You've had time to actually ruminate on it and, and come up with a good uh, idea of its flavor. Profile. Exactly, it goes very well with pizza. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's much that doesn't go well with pizza. <laughs> well, you know, if I don't know if I drink like a a Guinness or something that heavy with a with a pizza, because like I said, I already feel pretty full from the amount of pizza yeah. I put inside myself. Uh, and that that's usually my problem is if there's pizza in front of me, it's hard hard to stop. Um, in in beer and pizza, it's also hard to find the right balance there. So I, I would not yeah, go too heavy. The worst thing I ever had was a beer or a wine called pizza wine. And I got it in the uh, discount. There was a discount grocery cart that I used to always get there where the wines are like, you know, two, $3. They're just trying to move through the wine. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm having frozen pizza. I'm going to get pizza <laughs> wine with this. And it was a carbonated red wine that was really, really, really bad. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's no... No, thank you. Yeah, I I still remember it to this day. Sparkling wine. I drank it. Yeah, you, you drink it because you it, it's your penance for picking pizza wine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess I mean that's probably more on me than uh, on the wine. Yeah, it told you exactly what it was going to be. Just trash <laughs> wine. <laughs> I didn't realize it was carbonated when I purchased it. Uh, yeah, they snuck that in there for you. Yeah, but I mean, if you if you had a a wine called dumpster fire or something i'd probably check it out <laughs> I would actually, we should start a winery done i'm just done. the most trash names possible yeah dumpster fire has a uh, tottenham uh, signal on fire or tottenham crest on fire love it done we'd sell out for the label alone yeah that's, that's all alcohol is is 90 percent market yeah okay we'll talk offline <laughs> one of our mini projects yep. uh for myself i did the slightly lazy route and i got one of our the menace beers that we just came out with it is the kilting in the name of scottish ale which kilting i have in the had name before. of got it yep kilting in the name of yeah it's a multi nice it's a what 6.3 percent and uh has a little bit of peated malt, which almost gives it kind of like a, a whiskeyish flavor, or almost like it's been barrel aged. It's it's pretty tasty. How do you peat something? Like you just have the malt kind of. I actually went to uh, the place is no longer there, but it was called Skagit Valley Malting, and what they do is they actually take the grain and as they're drying on and kilning the grain after you've malted the grain. Uh, they will use uh, different smokes to kind of smoke through the grain. So you can do peat or you can do, you know, cherry wood, like oh. all sorts of different smoky flavors to that the grains will kind of absorb. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a fantastic beer. We, we do it every year around this time of year. It's kind of a fall transition beer that we put out. And this batch this year has turned out really, really well. The peatiness is really nice. It's a nice balanced beer. Said six point three, and so it's it, you know strong, but not going to knock you off your seat. Oh, that's the sweet spot, like that mid six. Mm-hmm. It's getting to darker beer season. Not that I don't drink darker beers in the summer, but there is something satisfying of having a nice dark beer as it gets colder and darker. Yeah, suddenly the 
my my clothing options open up. I get more layers. I know. And then my drink options open up. I like a good hot drink. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of like there's a good you get you get a lot of options there, and then it, like you said, opens up the dark dark beers. We should do a hot drink uh, drink of the week themed one. Sometimes. I'd be down for that. I like a good uh, you know it's getting into toddy season. That's my yeah, favorite. I know, I know cold you like remedy. Toddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because it's a glug season, which is sweet. It's this type of spiced wine you can make in Sweden. Yeah, so yeah. I'll be making batches of that. Mold wines of all kinds. Oh yeah. Okay. Good thing we have nothing else to talk about. We could just talk about this all day, right? Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about uh, buttered rums or, uh, oh. you know, a, a spiked cider. Oh, yeah. You can do a little hot cider with a um, fireball to get that little cinnamon flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking, uh, we have a cider producer, a dry humor cider. They actually do have some distribution in uh, Seattle. They're good friends of ours at uh, Menace. And they have a, a batch of cider. Well, it's not bad for you. It's just not up to the exact quality they want to like commercially sell. So they were thinking about trying to have us use it as a base for a spice cider, a hot spice cider over the winter. Yeah. That'd be good. Which sounds lovely. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I'm wishing I had something better than the glass of water that I have right now. <laughs> um, but we'll move on. I will uh, defer to you for the, the Timbit. Oh yeah, so uh, I've been. There's a new documentary on uh, Netflix, uh, the David Beckham documentary, mm-hmm. which has been pretty interesting. There's a, you know, it is David Beckham. There are some things that I remember why I disliked him to begin with, but uh, in general, it's you know interesting. But the uh, last episode I watched was all about his uh, red card uh, against Argentina, and you know it was against it was Diego Simeone who kind of baited him into that, which I didn't put two and two together. Huh. Until I was watching that doc- documentary. Uh, so I was wondering, you know, which former Arsenal player or former person involved with the club would you want to have like a kind of redemptive documentary series where you, someone who maybe was a villain that you'd like to, you know, get the star treatment and maybe get a a, a more redemptive look at his, uh, or their career? From Arsenal. Hmm. Now, like, you said a, a redemption arc. Does that mean it's got to be like a, uh, like a Van Persie? <laughs> yeah, Van Persie. I mean, that's exactly what I, someone I would, I would think about, like having a nice Van Persie because you know he all. I think we all have a little bit of a dirty taste in our mouth after he left mm-hmm. us. But you know, it's been a couple of years now. I think uh, maybe getting a documentary and seeing how much he still loves Arsenal and it was just all a, 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 a ruse or I don't know. Yeah, I the other person that comes to mind, I think, would be uh, Fabregas. I think I'd want to watch that more, perhaps, because mm-hmm. I don't think he's quite as much of a asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I was thinking when I when I thought of this, the the one I kind of want to see is a Bowie because mm. he's kind of had that granite Jaka treatment at the club, where like he kind of became a scapegoat for all of Arsenal's woes. And everything that was wrong with the club. But I always liked Ibue in some ways. And I have a lot of good memories of him as well. And I know that he had a very tough time after he left Arsenal. He was living homeless on the street for a while. Oh. Things like that. So it'd be really, I think it would be an interesting and I think 
a lot of people who kind of just remember him as a failed player, it would be good to remind us that he also was a, a, a good player too. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, I saw there's like a uh, Newcastle documentary I haven't watched yet. Mm. What is it like a, uh, what is it, the not Drive to Survive, but like the Amazon one? It's another, I think I saw it on Amazon. It's a four part, it's a four part series though. It's not like an all or nothing. I think it's done separately. Okay. That'd be interesting. I mean, you'd see a lot of uh, the what is it the investment funds coming in and all that jazz yeah yeah that'd be interesting um yeah because it is it is with uh eddie howe so i'm curious about him i'd like to see behind the scenes what he's like yeah it'd be i mean yeah i'd go on my list i can't say no to a sports documentary the only one i haven't seen is the uh, tottenham all or nothing because i could just not force myself to watch not only Tottenham, but Jose Mourinho's Tottenham. I just could not get into no. that. Did you check out the German national team one yet? Oh, no. I keep on forgetting about that. Yeah, I haven't started. I need to get going on that one, too. Yeah, so much to do. So little time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's get, to the, let's get to the meat of the episode here. Um, we, we had a game. Boy, did we have a game. We did. <laughs> I will I will tell you that I going into this game, I thought it was going to be relatively high scoring. I thought maybe 3-2, mm. something like that. Yeah. I was more nervous than I realized I was going to be going, watching a day of. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was feeling the nerves. But it, did, it it is one of the games where I did feel like it wasn't as overmatched as we've been in the past, you know, and especially with them missing Kevin De Bruyne and uh, uh, Rodri. Yeah, it did it, it coming off of a loss as well in the league. So they they were vulnerable to say the least. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I worry about playing City after they've come gotten beaten because it, it feels like they're just going to come back with a vengeance mm-hmm. the next game. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, what do you what do you think of the uh, starting lineup going into that game? Yeah, I think the the big surprise, or maybe no surprise at all to to anybody paying attention to Arteta's tactics, uh, no no Saka in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Even though there was some word that Saka was good to go, previ- I don't. There was multiple people saying he was going to be playing. He showed up in uniform before the game all indications where he was possibly good to go i mean to the if you if you dress there's definitely some subterfuge going on right yeah so he uh comes out and not in the lineup at all and (laughs) you know arteta arteta pulled a fast one and i think we all should have seen that coming yeah i mean do you think the you don't think it was something like he was planning on playing them and then pulled them just as a, a late fitness test or you, 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 do you think there's a lot of intention with this? I one? think so. I, this, there's, this smells, it stinks. <laughs> I, but I, I'm, I'm for it. If he's not, if he's not good, this is a great time to give him a rest. Yeah. I mean, the, the injury, my, my thought when I knew uh, sock was, you know, may have a little knock was that 
it's good timing, except for we have to play City because, you know, we have the international break and, you know, have time for some of these players yeah. to uh, kind of uh, recover a little bit. And, you know, Sokka playing 83 games in a row up to this game. Yeah, I think it's more, it's like 87 or something like that. Oh, she's. Yeah, he's a he's he deserves a little bit of a break. Yeah, I mean, of course, it was a bummer. I think I was um, nervous about what that would mean for the team, but I wasn't. I wasn't sure he was really going to be good to go after the last game. So I it, like it was going to be surprising to me if he did get in that he would start. So I guess I wasn't expecting much to begin with, and so this. Him not him not being in there. I, I looked at the lineup. I was like, okay, I still I still could see us hanging in in this game. There's yeah, and then I mean, I guess the other news is Jorginho getting that that start in midfield. It was a pretty interesting, I think a a pretty smart idea by uh, by Arteta. Yeah, if you're um, needing to shore up the the middle of the field there and and knock down the loose balls and and do what you can to clog things up and make make um make the, the city team work through the midfield a little bit more than they have it in previous matchups. I think having Jorginho kind of as a focal point actually worked pretty well. And if you don't yeah. have party available to start, I think Jorginho held his own fairly well. Um there was a couple shaky moments, but I think overall mm. he did pretty well. Yeah, I mean I do I kind of see him as a, uh, 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 why am I forgetting our Egyptian midfielder's name? El Neni. El Neni. Uh, a kind of a, a better El Neni, but the, the, you know, the general idea is he doesn't do anything extremely fa- flashy. He's not going to really, you know, up the offensive capabilities of this team, but he's a, just a safe, steady place to put the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you get the ball to him. He just kind of, keeps it there and you know he's going to make a nice a pass a safe pass and kind of move the ball around and it allows also for you know rice to maybe play a little bit higher up the pitch so you have Giorgino back and rice kind of just above him and it really does uh create an interesting issue for man city you know as we talked about in the podcast before one of the things they've City did last time they played is they just walked right through our, our midfield like it was butter. Mm. And they with Jorginho playing and the way the team set up, they could not do that. Yeah, I think they looked fairly in control of uh, pretty much the whole game. You know, I I there mm-hmm. I, I said there were sh- definite shaky moments, not just from Jorginho, but um Raya had a interesting first half but i know what i understand what he was trying to do or what he was being asked to do to a degree and that's absorb a lot of pressure and take one or two guys out of the field so that there's one or two guys open that that he could maybe pass to so him drawing in those those um city players should have made some mismatches throughout the rest of the field, but he had to bide his time a little too much uh, to try to get that open man. Or, you know, in, in one moment, I think Gabriel put him in a pretty tough spot. I think that was when city actually almost intercepted and put it into the side knitting. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that was a little nerve wracking, 
but I get the tactics behind it. And I, I could not see Ramsdale being able to do some of what he was able to do. Yeah. It's funny though. Cause like intellectually I get that, but it just doesn't, he hasn't clicked into my mind right now yet. Like I still kind of feel myself just on an emotional level wanting Ramsdale. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cause uh, you know, Ramsdale just has that emotional side to him that I'm just not that getting that feeling from, uh, from Rhea that you don't get the, uh, the, the shouting, the, you know, really kind of leadership and excited to be there feel that you do from Ramsdale. Yeah, I get that. Um, but the clean sheets don't lie. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to defer to, to Arteta on this one that we're getting the better of the two for what he wants to do because the, the results are there. So, I mean, if it's, um, the that little bit extra that he provides gets us over the top i this this may be a an indicator that we're doing something right you know it it it's just those uh little little percents here and there where we can improve and i think raya does stuff that we can't that ramsdale doesn't do and it's not to say ramsdale doesn't do stuff that raya can't do just in terms of what what it opened up in this game um, I think it was worth some of the close moments to kind of um, absorb some of that pressure that City was bringing so that we could play out of the back effectively. But yeah, it's uh, outside of the um, Jorginho and, um, well, I guess Trissard is the, the, the new man in the lineup here playing down the... Um, excuse me, down the left-hand side while Jesus takes up Saka's position. Uh, you know, another game with without Jesus playing down the middle, unfortunately. But again, Enkedia mm-hmm. isn't the solution down down the side, so you got to do what you got to do. Um, what do you think of Jesus playing Saka's spot? I mean, it's it's makeshift, is, is, is what I'm going to really say. I don't think it's ideal. I don't think it's uh, what anyone really wants to do. I I much prefer Jesus up top. I think it's uh, a better fit for his skills. But I mean, it is you know, it it is what it is until uh you know Martinelli's to f- back to full health. As far as you know, options that way, right? Yeah. Well, um, I th- I wasn't really sure what we would get out of Martinelli in this game. Um, but we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. I'm just, I, I was glad to see him at least on the bench for this one. Cause it was, uh, without Sokka, I felt like there was a, a glimmer, <clears throat> excuse me, a glimmer of hope off the bench. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you're talking about mind games with the, the whole Sokka thing. I think him, there was no talk about Martinelli coming back for this game and everything I was reading pregame. And then to see him on the bench was, yeah, it, it felt felt good it felt like there was a spark there because Martinelli is one of those players that you really do feel when he's in the game he can have those moments that changes change games yeah and you know you know not to disparage anyone else on the the bench or some of these other players we have but they don't have that same feeling that I do when I see, I see him Martinelli on the pitch or available yeah absolutely um the other one that was good to see was party uh, available as well. So even if we didn't get a um, full game out of uh, Jorginho, we had 
a very qualified player on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I do think uh, it's it's nice to have. I know there's some some issues off the field, but uh, just having another option in that center field and you know a little bit more depth is nice. And I forgot have once once I saw him come on, I forgot what the things that he does and when he's having a good game, what he can bring to this team. Yeah, and you know that's you know he's been absent for a while, and it was it was it was nice to see him come on and really shine Mm -hmm. all right so leading into the game then uh i was feeling pretty not comfortable but i'm feeling good about our chances going into it but then like four minutes in ake's (laughs) putting shot on goal and i was like okay maybe this is gonna be um a little more contentious than i planned on because you know they can be dangerous, but I was kind of hoping we'd play our way into the, the second half with a, a scoreless game. And uh, that early pressure, I was like, oh, maybe not, maybe not. But we actually, that, was, that wasn't that um, was as bad as I thought it was going to be after that. It, it kind of settled. Yeah, the game settled. I mean, we're pretty lucky that we didn't concede that goal pretty early on. It's It seems to be a, kind of a, a, a reoccurring thing theme of this arsenal team mm. is that we seem to be a little vulnerable in the first couple minutes of a game that we we it's maybe takes a minute for the players to kind of get on board but you know putting that aside and luckily they didn't score it, it turned into a really cagey match after that i felt i thought it was a lot of tactics and really kind of probing and trying to figure each other out and it was a very even evenly sided uh first half i thought it was it was pretty interesting yeah i felt like for most of the game it was very back and forth and you're right the the caginess was there as far as both teams trying to um play out of the back and selectively applying pressure here and there and so there was different battles going on and you could see that it was neither team was going to give up space easily and and when um city was on the ball that you could see the Arsenal players were determined to shut, shut them down. And, um, you know, players like rice were just crushing it. Like he was mm-hmm. everywhere and shut and, and shutting down runs and just creating turnovers. And, uh, unfortunately we couldn't turn some of those turnovers into a goal, but it was disruptive enough where, um, it was, we were able to stay in it. Well, I mean, I, I do, I do think this is uh, Rice's best game for Arsenal, and you really see the difference in how we played this year as opposed to last year against City in Rice. Why we spent the hundred thousand pounds for uh, for Rice mm-hmm. is that he really is that good, and this is you know what he brings to the team, and is really going to bring us to a, another level if he keeps on playing at this at this uh, rate. Yeah, I it it's another one of those things where you you hope your money is is well spent, but it's in these big games when you have to step up and prove yourself that um you know you're going to be the thing that you're going to live up to that that dollar amount and be the thing that everybody's hoping you're going to be and it, Rice has never looked uncomfortable. And that's that's I think is the um 
the best example of why Arsenal was willing to to go out and spend the money on him. He's like a a captain quality player, and he's just one of the guys in your team. Uh, and that that just he he's he does not look at all daunted by Champions League level play or the biggest biggest teams. And um, he always was a, a, a star, but now he's got a lot of great players around him. And so he just he kind of just fits in. He doesn't he doesn't have to try to do too much. That's just what he's always been doing. And now he's just got a team that matches his skill set. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a bonus that he was already kind of established in the league. And, you know, he's played City before. It's not a new experience for mm-hmm. him. It's, it's it, it, you know, it, it helps calm his nerves and he just can be there and do do his thing. And in, in some ways, I kind of wish uh, De Bruyne was in that game because it would have been an interesting battle to watch Rice versus De Bruyne in that midfield and see kind of uh, how they stack up against each other. Yeah, definitely. Definitely um, two of the best in the league. It would be nice to see head-to-head like that. But I will take it. I will take the, the absence. <laughs> and we'll we'll maybe see that in the second leg. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't be uh, <laughs> too uh, too picky about that. But, it, you know, yeah, I thought Rice in the midfield, I think it worked. I think having Jorginho there, as I said before, worked. I think it it was a cagey game and you know, it, it played into Arsenal's hand to show that we can, we can handle them. Yeah. I, I like what we were able to do and, um, really just for, you know, I I think both teams were just forcing, um, forcing tough, tough decisions to be made. And I, and I felt like we had, a fairly decent first half, but really like getting we we grew into the game in especially going into the second half. But um, it was it was a lot of just little things in that first first half of the game. The big thing that probably um, could have been a game changer really was the the two yellow cards. Uh, well, what should have been two yellow cards. Uh, for Kovacic, and I don't know really how he got away with without a, a red card in this game. I mean, I think the people have been talking about it, but I think it would be a much bigger story if we hadn't gone on to win the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to begin with, that first yellow card is about as orange as it gets. Mm. I know I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm going to like try and put that aside because to me that looked like a definition of what a red card should be. Mm-hmm. But he got his yellow card and the ref saw it differently. Fair enough. But his second challenge was pretty much the exact same. That one also could have been a direct red. Yeah. And how it didn't even get called for a yellow card, I don't understand. And again, I mean, I know, I guess uh, it's not considered a clear and obvious error. So it doesn't didn't really even get checked by VAR. Did it get checked by VAR? Uh, I don't know if the second one did. Yeah. And so, again... I don't know what VAR is for anymore, but uh, even without VAR, I don't know how that ref looked at that challenge in real time, in real speed, and didn't see that as a, a at least a yellow. I feel like there's this resistance to challenging the ref in any way. So mm-hmm. they, I think if if they think he got a clear view of it, 
then they're not going to say anything. If, if it's like, oh, you completely missed this thing. That's when you see stuff get turned, you know, get, get called when the ref actually can go over Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, I completely missed that. I wasn't able to see that. Or those are the ones that you see the, the cards coming out for the stuff. Like, um, if, if he has a view of it and he pulls a yellow card or doesn't make a call, they're not, they're just not trying to challenge that. There's just too much, um, faith put in the center ref to, to make the right call. And if they think he's well within his interpretation, it, 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 it gets, it just goes on by. But if you were to like, just go through and, and put VAR in as objective observers of the game, if you were looking at the definition of what a red card, uh, actually is, it's, it's studs up. It's to the planted foot. It is a dangerous, dangerous kick. I, I, and like nine times out of 10, either one of those could have been called a red. I, I just mm-hmm. don't understand why neither, like neither one was a red. I, that's just, yeah. I, I don't understand how neither one of those could be a red. And, and, or that, or, or just, or just like the, some of them are definitely a red, like right. combining those two tackles. If you just independently played them, you, you would, to anybody, they'd be like, yeah, that player should be sent off for the combination of those two tackles. Who just gave that guy a warning not to do it again. Yeah. And he does the exact same thing again. It wasn't even like you just had a different bad foul. You had the exact same dangerous play. Yeah. I mean, the uh, I was watching the game with two City fans who are very, very partisan and very uh, uh, not... Uh, necessarily arsenal friendly but they both agreed that it was a a red card it should have at least been a double yellow and that they were very they wanted pep to pull uh what's his name at halftime because they were worried about him getting another one of those tackles and so i just i mean it's done and it luckily didn't affect us but i mean i i don't literally just don't understand how that didn't get a red yeah it just there's no how again how do we define what is and isn't a violation of the rules when they're so broadly open to interpretation like it's mm-hmm. just why stuff that seems like it was clear a few years ago has suddenly become so gray in so many different areas i just don't understand why the rules are so open to individual interpretation why can't we come to a consensus on what some of these things are it i mean i really i you know i do think this is the fault of var i was i was because it's international break there hasn't been any good games on at work i I put on some uh all the world cup games and they're you know pre-var and when they're the referee made a foul as i was watching even like i knew there wasn't var so i was like the referee missed it like I think we are now at a point where we overanalyze everything because we know there's a crutch of VAR. Whereas before, some of these same things were happening, but we were more able to be like accepting of mistakes because there wasn't any oversight to mm-hmm. it. And I think now that we have, where we were told that VAR would get rid of all this and it hasn't, it just makes it more aggravating. Yeah, it just it's it's like a, a replay machine for all the mistakes that the referees make. Like you just get... You get you get to analyze where they went wrong, and instead of correcting it, we just get to still suffer from it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh and it's just uh, it's annoying. I mean, like hopefully it comes back to us <laughs> at some point. But uh yeah, I I don't I don't understand it. And you know, it's it's also dangerous for our players. It's you know, you're, you're part of the game is to be protecting players from challenges like that. Mm-hmm. I, I just I I you look at the Liverpool escalation. It's like at what point do other teams start speaking that same language and talking about you know calling for change because I think mm-hmm. every team is getting screwed by this stuff pretty equally. So you've got to say, okay, as a team is this is affecting our league and our product. You, you, I, I'm sure behind the scenes they're working on this, but publicly, I think it puts a lot more pressure on if you make it like a club statement saying this isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it would, you know, Howard Webb was brought in to fix a lot of this stuff, but he just kind of goes along with what all the refs are doing anyway. I don't see him drawing a line saying we need to stomp out mistakes. He just kind of says, oh, well, that happens. I mean, it, it comes with, I think, internal hiring for a position like that just means you're going to get the same internal processes. You know, it's not like they hired someone from outside, you know, professional refereeing or or let alone outside of the English referee system. Mm -hmm. They're all friends. He knows all these people. Right. He was one of them. So he's obviously more probably invested in saving face and saving his friend's face than he is in a actually making fundamental change that needs to happen. I mean, I think Pochettino had a great quote about the the situation with the refereeing, which is that the, uh, the quote was, I trust the car. I don't trust the driver when talking about VAR and, and, and the referees in England, yeah. which I think is pretty, pretty spot on. Yeah. I don't know if that anything will change in, in even the next couple of years. It just seems like a lot of these guys have to retire or get out of the way. And a younger group of referees has to come in that has just come up with the understanding of what VAR can do and should do in a game. And until there's a collective acceptance on the referee side of, of what it, it, what kind of tool it can be and how it can help you be a better referee. I think accepting that fact and, and working with that as the baseline um, would do wonders, but there's just too much ingrained in this group, the current group to, um, let go of, of that control. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I, like it's, it's getting to the point where I really, I feel it used to be that English referees were considered, you know, the best in the business and very impartial and, you know, people had a general trust of them. But right now we're, it's getting to the point where it's all, they're almost at the level of the Italian referees or, you know, the the trust level just isn't there on the fan base side of things. Yeah, I don't know how far the league can let this uh, um, moonlighting stuff going on go on with the uh, you know UAE and and um, I I get that these guys can do side gigs and do other things. Um, just it doesn't it doesn't look great. And how much can you let that go on before it becomes? A distraction and and something that people are gonna continue to question in the background as as different results occur. I mean, I do think uh, you kind of start getting into a rock and a hard place though with 
the fact that it's actually already fairly difficult to get people into refereeing mm-hmm. at this point. Not that I know there's a, a slight crisis in the lower leagues because no one wants to become a ref because all the, the all the abuse that the referees get, all the it's it's you know not a fun job. No, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people want to get into it. And if you take away their ability to make more money, you're gonna it's gonna be even harder to find people who want to uh, to to take on the role yeah yeah i'm sure that that is part of part of that conversation but i i i wonder if that is going to continue to trend in that direction if we're going to see more of that or if that's um you know if maybe some of these guys start getting hired away yeah i mean i think but part of their value to these other leagues is the fact that they are premier league referees. You know, that's, that is part of their, their, their value. Yeah. But I mean, just having them move there permanently, they, you know, just having former premier league referees working in your league mm-hmm. would be a, a coup. Um, and maybe it clear, clears the decks for the premier league to make some new hires. Yeah. If, if they're out there, <laughs> if there's yeah. people to yeah. be hired. Yeah, I mean, I, but I do agree. I think there has to be a structural look at the referees and the refereeing, and 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 even a structural look at the the rules and the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And I forget where I was reading this. It might have been in the uh, Discord chat uh, that really because soccer's rules are so vague compared to other professional sports, where it's like, what eight pages? I think the soccer rule book is, mm. and. Most sports have like NFL has like hundreds and hundreds of pages for their rules that it, uh, it may be soccer may have to, uh, really tighten in and kind of expand and really set the guidelines for the rules. Yeah. I mean, if you just applied it, found a way to apply handball evenly and fairly, if you found ways to create language that is very clear, and even if it's like, if the ball touches your hand, we're going to blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. Like, make that the rule. Even if that's super harsh, just get it. Like, I'm just using that as an example, but just find something yeah. that you can consistently apply without having uh, to have this, uh, you know, subjective view of, of every individual play. Like, it just doesn't work to leave it open to interpretation unless you're going to, get these guys all on the same page on what, you know, like it, it just, it, the wide range of what we see from week to week, just it, they've got to tighten it up. It, it can't be yeah. so hit and miss with some of these calls. Yeah. And, and, you know, we live in a world where these are humans making these calls. So like, I, I understand that mistakes will always be made and it's our, our job as fans to maybe be a little bit more understanding of the mistakes sometimes, but it's just, it's hard when it's not just a one-off thing. It's it seems like it just is gets over and over and egregious all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that so, uh, yeah, th- that happened in the for <laughs> the first half. And surprise, surprise, uh, I, I think I don't think Kovacic lasted too long into the second half. I'm trying to remember. Yeah what time he got pulled but yeah it was um he was not having a good day we'll say that (laughs) um yeah his i think his swap came 
well, we'll talk, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you know, uh, we had to make a sub in the beginning of the second half because Trissard came came off with a little bit of a an injury. I didn't see exactly what what got injured. If it, uh, the hamstring, hamstring, same hamstring that he's been kind of nursing. Uh, okay, which is uh, you know a little concerning, but uh, mm-hmm. good time to but, have Martinelli come. Yeah, back. exactly. That, the the silver silver lining of that was that Martinelli get, got to see the field, and you could really see as soon as that half started that the the just momentum that Martinelli brings with him, the the intention, yes, that Arsenal played when he was when he was on the field. Yeah, he he's just started making things happen, and the pace of play I think went up a little bit. Um, when you have a player that kind of upset intensity. It's it. That's exactly what you want from the bench, and it you know put put other players in, into better positions because he was drawing defenders, and sometimes it just you just need that guy who is gonna kind of charge at goal and make make tired defenders work work a little bit, and um, it, it opens up space, creates tired legs, and uh, I think he was a breath of fresh air in a game that was kind of. Um, back and forth in that first half, it kind of shifted the momentum, like you said. Yeah, and you know, it, it still always felt like it was a game Arsenal was in. It didn't feel like we were being overwhelmed. And the second half kind of uh, really felt like a, a a positive step. And it felt like it wasn't inevitable that we were scoring, but we had. It felt very likely that that something Arsenal was going to make something happen that second half. Yeah, they definitely looked. By comparison, you know, City kind of faded. Uh, I felt like as as we got more of a foothold in the game, I didn't feel like they um, were able to be as effective with their subs. You know, I, sometimes they can dip into their second string and pull out some starters, basically. <laughs> but I didn't feel like they had um, a lot to really offer from the bench. You know, you're you're uh, I think they let's see they brought in John Stones, okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, Matthew Nunez came on for Kovacic in the 68th minute. He lasted longer than I thought. I thought he pulled him earlier than that, but you know. <laughs> um, and then I think uh the one that was interesting was was uh Doku coming on um because he 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 can be a little bit of a handful. Yeah. And uh. That was when we about the time we made some subs as well. Uh, so this was, I, I think everybody's looking at the subs that that uh, Arteta made and saying this was about uh, a, a plus as far as setting your setting your lineups. So yeah, but I, I mean, I, I do think you you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about what we were able to pull off the bench. That in previous teams, our bench has seemed a little light, but when you're talking about Martinelli, Tamiyasu. Uh, party Havertz, these are all, you know, starting level, starting quality players that are coming off the bench, mm-hmm. which uh, is a, a big difference and, you know, turned out to be the key to the game, really. Yeah, I think in, in uh, Tommy Austin is one of those guys that's kind of um, first off the bench sort of player where he, he can sometimes start for us in multiple positions. So, 
whenever he does come on, he, no matter where you play him, he he is is at the starter quality or better in some cases. And when he, he is fresh and um, the other team is not, we saw in this game he can actually actually create something, um, which is I, I think we've seen we've seen him with the national team be really a great deep passer and can make things happen for, for um, the Japan team. And while he can do that with Arsenal, um, I think we don't, we think of him as a really solid defender at first. And in this, in this game, I think he, he got to show a little bit di- something different because he, he was able to kind of push into spaces that were being left open by Doku um pushing forward and so um yeah it was it was interesting to to see these these guys come off the bench and really change change the game quite a bit yeah and uh you know you're you're looking at Havertz involvement too which uh, i was talking to a friend of the show jordan about uh about Havertz and it, he i think we as arsenal fans and i have to kind of adjust our expectations of what type of player Havertz is. Mm-hmm. I think thinking of him as a scoring machine or an offensive-minded midfielder might be the wrong way about going about it because I thought he had an excellent uh, appearance in this game, Havertz. Not just the assist, but the way he was uh, playing the game. He was solid. He really uh, helped move forward and helped the attack move forward. And I think that's the the, the skill set we should be really focusing on not the uh, the narrative of his uh, missing all the time and, uh, and scuffing shots right um yeah i think his, his contribution was perfectly fine if you take away if you take away that pressure from him to to score he pops up in places where you want him to be um which at the very least is drawing defenders and um creating problems and he can bring the ball down and kind of be a target man um, in, in some cases. So it's, he, he does, he does things that other players can't necessarily do. So whether he's starting or coming off the bench, he offers something that uh, we can use, you know, it's, it's a great example of it in this, in this um, goal that it's just, He's he's in the right place. He's doing what he needs to do, and he's making the right passes. And I think if if you're looking for somebody to um, fill a fill a spot and and do the right things at the right time outside of scoring, he's the he's the guy for that. And I think he like you said, he just has to um, kind of just be consistent, and mm-hmm. it it it'll. I think we'll all kind of catch up to that a little bit. Yeah. And, but it's, it, it, you know, speaking of that goal, it was, I think overall you can be really impressed with Arteta's uh, tactics and strategies this game and just the way he was able to change the game with his subbing, which has sometimes been a, 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 a not shining spot for Arteta. Mm. But this game, he had the substitution and the, the strategy is nailed down. Yeah. Cause when you, when you are able to bring those sorts of players off the bench, um, you can really change the, the complexion of the team. And 
it's, you know, when you're taking off uh, Trossard, Zinchenko, and Kedia, um, Jorginho, like, that's the core of your team right there. I mean, like, when you're making four or five subs, that's that's a lot of change. And it can be uh, disruption. You know, like, you, you can see teams kind of fall apart when they have too many subs and they can't really find their footing and it doesn't really click. This was the opposite of that. And it just, yeah. it was a perfect um setup for what ended up being the winning goal because the all all four of those players were were involved on in that build-up and that's exactly what is what you want to see from your subs yeah and i think i mean i think it was by design i, I really do think arteta set up the game knowing he was going to change it later in the game and what he wanted to do was keep it a tight controlled tactical game for the first 70-ish minutes and then really kind of unleash hell for the last 15 as it were yeah. and really try and go in grab that goal do do exactly what we did grab that goal get the one nil and uh and and call it good mm-hmm. you know and just get past that first hurdle of beating city yeah and it, he he i mean i think he out out coached uh pep this game i think he really was the one doing the proactive changes and making city adjust to us yeah and i think it was um kind of the the personnel catching up to the tactics also. I think there's there's always been mm-hmm. things that Arteta would have probably liked to have done but didn't have the the people to do it. But you get a Rice in there, you get a Raya in there, you get you get Havertz and some of these other pieces in there that can do something that um just open some things up for you. And I think collectively the team is just very strong defensively. Um mm-hmm. It, it, it's you've you've got a lot of players in there who are just willing to work hard and, and do whatever this coach asks them to do. And that's that's a testament to what Arteta's been able to build. Is like he's kind of built this group up and and put the pieces together, and now he was able to kind of um, showcase what it was all for. Because when you're you're kind of like going up against this giant over and over again, and you keep coming back with some new ideas, some new faces. And finally, you can say, "Okay, this is this is it. This is the final, or we're on our way to the final form." But we've we've reached that first um, plateau where we can we can say, "Okay, we we can climb. We've climbed up, and we can we can uh, take it from here." You know, like this is this is kind of the uh, the sign that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, defensively and defensive solid and. I really wanted to mention uh, Saliba and his game against uh, uh, the arguably the best striker in the world, Holland, <laughs> and he basically had Holland in his pocket mm. the the whole game. It was it's rare to see. I mean, it, it kind of screwed my fantasy league team, but I'll take it. it, yeah. it, it it's rare to see. <laughs> I'll take that L every. I still am top of my league, so <laughs> it, it didn't do too bad. But uh, it, you. It's it's great to see. I think you're you've really seen Saliba flower as you know of one of the best center backs in the world. And I think I would take Saliba over pretty much anybody else in the world right now as a center back. Mm-hmm. And like collectively to hold a team like City to four shots with only one being on target, mm-hmm. that m- must be that Ake shot. I'm trying to think of what if. Well, that wasn't on target because you have to make a save to get it on target. Yeah, I'm trying. I couldn't remember like where that. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't. That one went over. I, yeah. I, I think the sh- 
Shot on Target is probably the one that we don't remember the most. <laughs> so yeah. Shows you the, just the kicking kick catch. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it, it's it's a, a testament to the um, collective work that the team put in. Like right, Rice individually played really well, but I think there was at some at some point there was it was like Rice and Odegaard made a dual tackle at the exact same time. Like it, it's just like collectively the team was mm-hmm. everywhere they needed to be to shut things down. And even though it looked like it was um, a little dicey at times, the the tactics worked. It it, it played played out just as you would hope. Um, especially when Arteta was probably dreaming up what he needed to do to finally get one over on on Pep. I think it to to have the players step up and and do what needed to be done. They could easily have made a mistake or you know. Cl- crumbled under that pressure because you're you're you have to stay focused for 90 minutes with city they cannot Mm -hmm. they cannot be letting up uh at any point because they will pounce and uh it's it's not something you can uh let your guard down with yeah especially if you're trying to play which i think arsenal was a tight game trying to keep it low scoring trying to to sneak in a goal you have to play the the number one thing I'm sure his team talk was is no mistakes. You cannot make mistakes. And, you know, there were the odd mistakes. There were two. There was the, you know, early corner that Ake uh, almost punished us. And, you know, the uh, errant pass in the first half by uh, Rhea that uh, almost punished us. So, you know, City wasn't 100% clinical, but for the most part, we played a mistake-free game. Yeah. And, and to... Score. I mean, I think you could say that the goal was beautiful, but you know, to to ding one in off someone's face, <laughs> it it's just it it was just poetic and lovely. And he did it on purpose, right? I think so. I think so. Um, I I I just I felt like the collective Arsenal fan base all over the world. You could you could just sense the relief. Hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody was like, okay, we're, we won, you know, I I think there was some tense, some tense minutes after this goal, but I think to, to get that goal that late in the game, I think there was just kind of just pure, pure joy to start. But I mean, just Mm. the, the idea that we, we might have done it, I think was, uh, you know, it's, it's about more than just this one game. It was about like a, a an ongoing thing that's been going on for so long. I, I you know, so I was watching the game at uh, Menace Brewing with uh, my two friends who are City fans, and we had to delay it because we couldn't uh, make it live. And I did get the the game spoiled for me uh. by a customer coming up and just telling. I was wearing my Arsenal jersey, and they said, "Congratulations on the game." Uh. Which, which, you know, it's a, there, there are worse times to get spoiled. I think it's worse to get a game you lose spoiled than a yeah. game you win. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm not going to lie. I still yelled at the top of my lungs when that goal went in, even <laughs> though I knew it was coming. I knew that, uh, you know, we didn't lose the game. <laughs> I was pretty sure it would run. It still was cathartic, even knowing the result. Yes. Yeah, I think that's... Um, it... it, it it was kind of just unbelievable for a moment, you know, and you're always waiting for the, 
inevitable VAR check or something. But, you know, this one, this one was really straightforward. And so everybody could really enjoy this. I, it looked like insane scenes at the, at the oh, stadium. Gosh. It was great. I, I watch, I watch every week the bench cam mm. and seeing the, the that's on YouTube and seeing the fans after the goal. I mean, Arteta was awesome, but just seeing the fans that were behind Arteta just going absolutely mental after that goal goes in. It's a, uh, it, I, I got chills again, watching it. Mm-hmm. I think the rendition of uh, North London forever was mm-hmm. as, as good as I've heard it. Mm. It was like, everybody was um letting letting something out yeah i mean it's it is i mean this is a cathartic game this isn't just you know the last two years this is the last 13 years of you know kind of our fortunes have been on the wane as cities were on the rise you can kind of almost mark it i remember it was the uh after uh arsenal lost uh, uh gosh what's his name uh Sonia. To City and Arsenal played against City for the first time with Sonia playing and we lost that game. And you could really feel that this was a a, a shift, you know? Mm-hmm. And so now we're kind of in this position of the it feels like things are shifting the other back the other direction a little bit. And this win was a statement of that shift, which is why I think this win was so important for us Arsenal fans. Yes. It it, it is the definition of a, a statement game. So it's especially, I think when you look at the reactions of the city players after the game, like this is setting up camp in their heads, you know, this is mm-hmm. going to be something that either fuels them or haunts them. And I think either way, it's going to make for a very interesting second uh, game later this season. Yeah. And it, I think it does set us up if, and you know, this is a big up, there's a lot of season and the, you know, the game, the title isn't won by playing Manchester city. But, uh, last year when, you know, we were leading the league for so long and you had Manchester city behind us, I think there was a feeling of inevitability. There's a feeling that, you know, this is city and they're going to do city things and they're eventually going to pip us for the title. Mm-hmm. I think games like this, make it less likely that that happens. I think both on the Arsenal side where Arsenal's when, if they look back over their shoulder and they see city, they're like, no, we can handle this. We're, we're, we're going to do our thing and win. And from city point of view, it puts that little bit of doubt in their head, you know, a little bit of like, can we catch up? Not, are we going to catch up? Can we even catch up? Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, uh, both of us are playing catch up to a certain team top in the table, which I don't, necessarily love i don't i don't know what you're talking about um we're it's it's the international break none of this counts <laughs> um yeah so it was oh and we had to we also have to give credit to the team really for seeing the game out because they were very good about maintaining possession and just making sure that this game was uh, stayed at one one nil, um, but you know, fairly even statistically. But that twelve shots to four tells tells the story. Like we found mm. our way to making something happen. Um, and if I remember correctly, those four shots on goal are the low, lowest uh, Premier League 
shot total Man City's had under Pep Guardiola. That sounds right. I'd believe that. Yeah, and to to really have no no expected goals from Holland, um, mm-hmm. just just nothing, nothing there. We were able to really shut down a team that has been a thorn in our side. So it wasn't even like it was. It didn't feel close in the end. Like it it was because we had to fight so hard to get what we got, but mm-hmm. the fight that they put up wasn't really that threatening yeah i mean i don't i don't i i there were definitely nervous times during the match but i don't i i I take solace in the fact that it never felt like we were overwhelmed there in previous games there's been plenty of times where you know you just look at the arsenal team and you go wow they're just not as good as city Mm -hmm. whereas this game we we looked every bit their their match in this game yeah, I think you can you can really see that year over year we have grown and grown and grown and it is not I think you could tell even from the uh community shield like the it just getting mm-hmm. getting that was a, a mental uh leap forward. So it, whatever we've done over the last few years has been a process to 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 Arteta's credit, you can see where all the work has gone to to right the ship and make sure that they're on the level that they need to be at. And it's not just this is a great example a game, but to be back in Champions League, to be mm-hmm. fighting for the title, to have the, the the crowd behind the team, to have camaraderie in this group, to all the things that were issues before have been put put on the right path at the very least yeah i mean i think when arteta was hired the thing he said he wanted to do was change the culture of this club and i think it's not just him but i think the club has come together fans coaching staff uh backroom staff uh ownership everyone has made a concerted effort to change the mentality and the culture of what arsenal is and really define that and and hold themselves to it and it shows, you know. Mm-hmm. I think now, to me, the and I, I think I think Arteta is, is aligned on this as to really not just be a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. To do this for five years, to do this for another decade, you know, like not and whether that's with Arteta or not but really find a way to make this sustainable to the point where winning and Arsenal are more synonymous. Yeah, I mean, and you, you look at it in the steps that we've done to retain some of these young players, the fact that really our starting core, the, the players we really feel are integral to this team are locked down for three, four, five years now, that we really do have a lot to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I think you, to to me, to really put like the 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 banter era behind us, is to to have true respect again. Mm-hmm. Like teams should be concerned about us. It should not be a question whether we get into the Champions League. It's not a question of 
Uh, I mean, not to make light of that because it's going to be challenging to do that with the the quality of teams that are in the mm-hmm. Premier League, but to to be there every single season, it, it, it means you're you've put together a quality team that can compete at that level. Like you, you once you kind of get to the Champions League level, you can kind of maintain that because you you've put the the money that you're making from that into the team. And so mm-hmm. it, it, it is something that you can sustain if you do it right. Yeah, the money you're making and also the prestige in attracting players. I think the hardest part when you're the, the, on the outside looking into Champions League is convincing players to, to, to come to your team. And that's where it was helpful with Arsenal to have such a good crop of young players already in our system and mm-hmm. be smart enough to hold on to them. Yeah. And, you know, if you can kind of combine those two things of still continuing to, to develop great players and be able to attract some of the best, that's the uh, that's the dream, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's how you keep a sustained team going for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it For as amazing as it was to win this game, I think you have to look at it as another bench benchmark to to say, OK, we've got we've gotten this far, but there's work to be done like we got to see mm-hmm. the season out we've got a long ways to go but i think we've um we can look back from this point and say okay i see i see where we've come I th- i've seen all the work that's gone into getting us to this point so it yeah. is it is something to appreciate because um it has been probably the biggest measuring stick over the years um especially in the last couple you know grabbing uh, Zinchenko and and um, Jesus, I think having that core with Arteta of Manchester players that we we had like kind of a a, a point to prove that the mm-hmm. those those players needed to kind of separate themselves and and say hey we can we don't need you we can do this yeah. we can do this without you and so there's a lot of a lot of that um, kind of attitude is like we it. Arsenal overall has had a point to prove for a bit. And now, now we can kind of start to actually make the case that it's, it's real. Yeah. And it's, 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 and you bring up a uh, Zinchenko and uh Jesus and you should, I think you can also put Jorginho in this, that we've also brought in some players that have winning experience. And it's, it's, it's one of those cash 22s, which is that an important part of a team to win is having experience winning things. But the only way you can get experience winning things is, by winning them. Uh-huh. So if you have a group of players that is extremely talented, you need to find help find and complement them with players that just have been there, that know it, know what it feels like. And, you know, Jorginho, as, as I said, is a good example of that. Bringing in some of these players that have won things has been a, a another marker of our progress. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this team is improved in so so many small ways and collectively just you can see that the product is there and just the the um the the camaraderie that this team has like after the game or even when mm. uh, martinelli scored it just the the love is there and i think that is that it, that's probably the biggest win is just that everybody has such positive feelings towards this team and it just kind of reflects back um, from the team itself, I, I I was just I'm always so proud when like Odegaard does his little lap 
after the game. It's mm-hmm. like just those little things. It, you, you add up all those little things and it, it's something so much bigger than it has been for so long. And I think we've, uh, we just got used to being kind of negative about the team in, in so, so many ways that we, you just kind of are like, uh, yeah, that's the Arsenal thing. We, this is what we do. We kind of screw things up and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's nice to be on the other side of that and look back and be like, Hey, it doesn't, doesn't have to be that bad. We just, we had to get, get through it. Now it's like, let's, I, I, I hope I can put that, that old feeling behind me and just kind of feel like, okay, we, we, we actually can pull out these wins. We can find ways to beat the big teams and, and be part of the bigger conversation at the end of the season. So um, we don't have to be so dour and negative towards, towards <laughs> Arsenal. Well, speaking of dour and negative, uh, I hate to, interrupt this absolute love fest we're having, but you were, you were mentioning body language and mm. something that did stick out to me was, uh, the cameras focusing on Ramsdale coming out after the, uh, first half and coming to the bench and his, but uh, did you get to see that? Were you, I, I didn't, I don't know. I don't think I saw that. His body language was absolutely awful. It looked like a player who was very depressed to be there. Did not want to be on the bench at all. Was he looked just, visibly upset to my eyes i mean i'm i'm reading into it i don't know him personally or anything it's just what i saw in that like 30 seconds of him coming in at halftime so it's 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 something i'm interested in monitoring i i i have a strong feeling he's not going to be with the club very much longer and could leave as early as january Mm. yeah that'd be unfortunate but um especially because like i think he if this team is going to go on to have success this season, I'd like to see him be part of that. Even if like, I'm sure though, he it's difficult for him. Like he may not want to be able to, to be on the bench when someone else is getting the glory, you know? And, and he also has to look at his career that he's really trying to stake that England spot with the, uh, euros coming up Mm -hmm. and you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the manager of England, uh, Southgate, Southgate. He, uh, has said consistently that, uh, he wants players to be playing and he's not going to pick necessarily backups or bench players to play for that team. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, Ramsey was just kind of knocking on that door of English national team keeper, getting some starts. And it, if he's not going to be able to get consistent play at Arsenal starts, he's going to need to find somewhere else to, to, to realize that ambition. And if that's, I, I, like I said, the, the clean sheets speak for themselves. We're the results are, are there. So if, if this is working and we can cash in on, on Ramsdale, I, I would not stop him from leaving. I think you got it. it it makes sense for all parties if if the money's there and and the opportunities there for him to get a starting spot somewhere else um i think finding a backup is is going to be maybe a challenge i don't know what the january I mean, the, goalkeeper window looks like but that's the per- perpetual challenge is that uh the the backup keeper is always if it's good enough if they're good enough they're going to want to start and uh and get and move on pretty quickly if they're not getting the starts. But, you know, if your keeper doesn't want to to start, you're, they're probably not on the, the higher tier of goalkeepers. Right. It was a, 
who was it? It was Chelsea's goalkeeper that was the uh, perpetual backup to uh, Czech. Uh, what's his name? Uh, it was like it was in, it was like Kulicini. Gosh, but it, it, he was that exact player because you know Czech almost always started other than his major head injury, and uh, he was just happy as a clown to be uh, you know on the team. Yeah, you need that guy that's, that that isn't going to be a, a big drop off though. I guess that's the mm-hmm. concern is it, and and again, you if it if. if Arteta's right about wanting competition at all positions. You still want a guy that's going to try to push for that starting role, which is hard to find. Um, at this, once you kind of up your level of goalkeeper, then who's going to push that guy? So, um, we'll worry about that in January, I suppose. But interesting yeah. to think about Ramsdale making an early exit. All right. Um, anything else you want to say about this game? Uh, no, I mean, I mean we've, we've talked for a good long time about it, so yeah. I think it's gonna it's one that's going to live in our, our hearts for a while. Yeah, uh, so we will not be recording next week due to the international break, and I'm going to be traveling myself, so we should mention that we have a Chelsea match coming up at the other mm-hmm. end of this um, uh, international break, and that's coming up on the 21st, and... Uh, you know, to go from Man City on one end and and Chelsea on the next, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see whether we can get carry over the momentum that we've built up here and um, take it to Chelsea. You know, Chelsea's not the necessarily the trouble that they have been in the past, but well, I I, I would I've been seeing a lot of uh, Chelsea games, and a good friend is a uh, Chelsea fan, and I've been watching games with them and talking soccer with him. And I think your Chelsea, it's the international break, I think is coming at an unfortunate time for them, but they're getting their, some of their players back. Um, their, their, their defense has been actually pretty good this year. They've had a pretty solid defense. It's the fact that they just can't score or hadn't been able to score, but it does seem in the last couple games, they've kind of uh, gotten out of, out of that, over that hurdle and have been, finding ways to, to, to score. So it, I, I think it's going to be a more difficult game than people are thinking will play in this year's Chelsea. I think they, they obviously have the quality. As I said, some of their players are really kind of coming on for them. They have a couple new young players that look legit and, and the real deal. So it's, it's going to be a tough game, but it, it's nice on our end that we have this week to recover some of our players like Trissard I read that Saliba has a little bit of a knock and isn't going to be playing with a French national team. Uh, Saka, obviously. Mm-hmm. Even giving uh, more time for Martinelli to get up to fitness. Uh, so it comes at an opportune time, but it's going to be another difficult game, I really do believe. Yeah, I don't think anything can be taken lightly. Um, and Chelsea, with their ambition to be higher up the table is going to want to try to take points wherever they can. They're not going to roll over against a team like Arsenal by any means, but the way we've been playing, I think they have their work cut out for them. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, I do, I, I do fancy Arsenal in this, in the, in the upcoming game, but I, 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 I think it's going to have to be another strong performance from Arsenal to, to, to get over that, that hurdle. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I I'm looking forward to seeing again, kind of where we're where we're at. I, every every week is another opportunity to see if they're gonna really kick things into gear. Because like I think at the end of the day, I still don't think we've seen the best that this team can play. So I, I, I'm excited every week to see if it's going to be the time that things can like really kick on. I, I think you look at a game against like Bournemouth where we score four goals and it's like you get a little taste of that. And then you have a uh, the, loss to, the loss against Lens and then you've got to win against Man City. It's kind of been a little up and down. Um, mm-hmm. So and then you go back as far back as the draw with Tottenham. And I think City is going to be another another opportunity to see if we're able to build some real momentum and, and get a, a string of wins. Um, it's, you know, going unbeaten in the league is great, but I really would like to see us start getting more dominant in games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think we will, I think, you know, it takes time for a team to gel too. I mean, mm. we're still in the, the first half of the season. We're still in that first part of the season. And I think we can only really start making real judgments of where we're at after, uh, after the winter break and really kind of see what this team's all about. Yeah. Especially too, we've been dealing with injuries and so it, it that, that is part of the game and something we've been built to weather a little bit better, but um it dev- definitely has an effect when you can't play your ideal ideal lineup like we were so consistent about last last season for the most part um mm-hmm. now with different options it, it's still maybe a work in progress to figure out where where each player's best suited i know with uh Havertz it's been kind of an experimental phase but um i'm i'm curious to see if we settle into anything or if it's going to be a little chop and change throughout the rest of the year I mean, I would I would prefer to to get that uh, Jesus nailed in, in in the center of the uh, the attacking band. I think that uh, would really help solidify things. Mm. Yeah, I think that is wherever whatever our best look is. It includes him up top, and you know, I I don't see I don't see that happening until we can get Saka and Martinelli back, obviously, but. Um, that, that it wouldn't be too far fetched to see that put out for the Chelsea game if Saka's feeling back to 100% by then. That just made me feel excited about that game. Yeah, really. I that 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 three those three going up against Chelsea sounds sounds like fun. It de- it definitely does. Um okay. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh I think if you uh have jo- stuck with us for this long uh we we really appreciate it and you should come back and listen to us again you know subscribe wherever you're wherever you're listening to us otherwise if you want to uh find us on the internet or in the world well don't, I, mean, I mean this isn't like come find us in the world sort of situation <laughs> uh but if you wanted to chat with us on discord or anything like that uh you can find all that information in our show notes and uh with that uh think that is all for us this week so as always see you at the next gun show